Hey, St. Paul, welcome to episode 18 on our study on the Holy Spirit. Emily, thank you for being here. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> uh, are you all uh, ready for Christmas in your household? Mm, ready is such a relative term. <laughs> yes, it depends who's asking, right? Uh, there, there are some things that need to be done. Well, the few household is the same way. Yeah. We're... We're going to be continuing our studies on the Holy Spirit. We're focusing uh, this week, like we did last week, on a, a Christmas perspective of the work of the Holy Spirit or the work of God through His Spirit. Today, we're going to be talking about the, um, the story of, of Mary receiving word from the angel and introduce that for us today. Well, I think, you know, everybody else is talking about Christmas. We might as well, too, right? <laughs> We all need that. We need a little Christmas. I won't sing it for you guys. Um, we need a little Christmas right now. But, you know, and I don't know if it's because when I, since I have become a mother, um, and it has grown, I'm, I've been a mother for 17 years. And if, you know, over the years, those 17 years, it has grown um, exponentially. My regard and my respect of Mary and the Christmas story in general, because you realize that there is God, as my friend Caroline says, God in a bod. <laughs> he has come to the earth in human form. And, you know, that incarnation and, and gave it all up so that he could come into the world as a baby, not just appear as a conquering king or, you know, this great charismatic evangelical leader that packed out arenas and and whatnot. So, but he came as a baby. And that idea that Mary and Joseph were these earthly parents to this heavenly child is just mind-boggling to me because my goodness I wouldn't want that responsibility <laughs> yeah I mean how how would your plan of discipline go for the son of God <laughs> I don't know I mean did he I mean, when did Jesus kind of come into that knowledge of I mean of I can do whatever I want <laughs> <laughs> and then he did he use that to his advantage? I don't think so. It's that such a tension. <laughs> Could you imagine being a younger sibling? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's Jesus. Can't do anything wrong. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> normal oldest children, I think, feel that way a little bit. <laughs> every, well, every family's got that one kid that is always on the right side of what mom and dad wanted. Um and get and all the brothers and sisters are irritated with that. I imagine that Jesus was, <laughs> but I mean they didn't know. His brothers and sisters were probably like, "Yes, you're okay. <laughs> That's what mom tells you that you're special. We know, we know." <laughs> but um, I, I heard uh, last week or a couple weeks ago on the Passion City Grove. So the Grove is their women's ministry. And Jackie Hill Perry was the speaker that they had for this Christmas time grove. She 
took an approach that I had never heard before. And she started talking about Moses. And I mean, she started, you know, the beginning of it was she was talking about Christmas carols. And then all of a sudden she jumps into Moses. And I was like, well, this is a turn. What's she going to talk about? How's she going to weave this back into Jesus is coming (laughs) to his birth in a manger? But she started by talking about how Moses and the burning bush. And here's this bush that is burning with this otherworldly kind of fire that doesn't consume the bush, yet it is just burning. And when Moses tries to approach it, the Lord says, no, 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 don't come any closer. This is holy ground. And so we see throughout the Old Testament this inability to approach because God is so holy that we can't. Like the Israelites couldn't even touch the mountain where God's presence was. And we see when the Israelites are getting the Ark of the Covenant back that, first of all, they didn't do it right. They didn't read the scriptures about how it was supposed to be transported, so they were already wrong. But as they were carrying it, it starts to slip and fall, and one of the priests reaches out and to catch it from falling, and he drops dead immediately. That was just the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence was supposed, it was to symbolize God's presence among the people. But he dropped dead right then. That's that inapproachableness. Yeah, you see it in the the tabernacle at the end of Exodus, where the Shekinah glory falls. Yeah. And, and who was a lot in there? The high priest, but only once a year. And they there was had so a rope many, around his waist. Yeah, <laughs> and they had to do so many different little yeah. uh, things to prepare to get in there. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and even when Moses was up on the mountain talking with God, when he came down, it was... He shone so brightly that the people couldn't look at him. They were like, we can't even look at you. You're so bright. Could you cover your face a little bit? And Moses had to cover his face so that the people could even pay attention and look at him because God's glory was just bouncing off of him and radiating off of him. So there's this whole idea of this unapproachable God because he is so holy and we are so not. And Jackie Hill Perry comes back in and she says, yet we get to the Christmas story and here he is. Here is God on earth that has to be swaddled and wrapped and carried wherever he goes. He came into this world as a as a helpless baby. And the difference of being an unapproachable God that if you even get a little bit too close you're going to drop dead. And then being an infant that had to be swaddled and cared for by a mother and a father. And that, gosh, the difference between the two. And it might take you a minute to wrap your mind around that because that is a significant change. And that just so shows the the God of the Old Testament and our sin and the fallenness of the world and all of the things that we had done and all of the laws that were made to help us that we just can't quite keep, here's our answer and here's Jesus and we can hold him. He can be cuddled, he can be swaddled, he can be loved, he can be hugged, he can do all those things and bridge that gap. There's the old covenant and the new covenant coming together and that stark difference of the two. Yeah, they're, the juxtaposition of the unapproachable and the vulnerability of Jesus. Yes. 
the vulnerability of Jesus. I, I remember when our, our first child was, was born, how vulnerable, you know, yeah. that child, you know, when the diapers, when Pampers says five to 15 pounds, <laughs> that's all the poop it can hold. Okay. <laughs> really, it can't hold any more. Then I realized it was the size of the child that that was referring to. But, um, but the vulnerability of having to be cared for, to have to be yeah. uh, protected, to have to be provided for, and to, to do things that the child could not do on its own. And now here comes God in flesh, the incarnation that is so contrary yeah. to how the Israelites expected the Messiah to come. Right. And here he is coming as a child. Yeah. And not just not just a child being born. But a child to insignificant people yeah. in an insignificant place, other than the fact that Bethlehem, I'm talking about the house and the manger or yeah. that it happened. But I think that there is this, this idea that the expectation was a king coming in on a white horse to take over right. the oppressors of their day. Right. And that was not what happened. It couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> And, and and I don't know how you felt with your first child, but with ours, I felt like they're letting us leave here with this baby. <laughs> so they have made a mistake. They're letting us walk out of here with this child. I don't, uh, we are not, uh, we're not ready for this. We have made a mistake. We should have waited a little bit longer. And there are Joseph and Mary who had way less <laughs> than I did. They didn't have modern medicine. They didn't have, you know, I, I can't imagine that hay was comfortable to birth a baby on. So, I mean, I just, it just makes me go, my gosh, Mary and Joseph, who were they? I mean, why? What? Why were they so special? And how did God come about choosing them? I mean, because essentially he was choosing his own parents. Yeah, it was an invitation. Yeah. And talk more about that, because I remember you sharing that with me yesterday, that God was choosing his own parents, you know? <laughs> there have been numerous times that I tell them, you didn't choose me, I didn't choose you, we're stuck with each other, let's just learn to live with each yeah. other. But here's God getting to choose yeah, he's the, the vessel only through whom his, his, <laughs> his son, the incarnation of the Messiah, was going to be brought into this world. Yeah, I mean, he didn't, he's the only one that gets to decide who his parents are. He's the only only person that has ever done that. How special Mary and Joseph must have been. And it just makes me question, you know, would God choose me to be his mother? <laughs> I don't I don't know. <laughs> my children would say absolutely not. <laughs> I just don't think they want the uh, Messiah as a sibling. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um but he got to pick. And so what does that say when you think about it like that? What does that say about Mary and Joseph? I mean, Mary was 13, most likely. I didn't know anything at 13. And I realized times have changed and, you know, the necessity of what she had to do and who she had to be and the responsibilities that she had are vastly different than what 13-year-olds today have to face and go through. But, you know, she was betrothed to this man that she didn't know, who was older than her, and she didn't know what was coming. And the angel of the Lord appears to her and says, you are greatly favored, you. 
Now, many of the pictures that I see, the paintings that depict Mary receiving word from the angel, you know, has her hands folded and, yeah. you know, there's a bright light behind her head and she's calm. And um, But I don't think the passage of scripture lends us to believe that. You know, the angel says in verse 30 of chapter one of Luke's gospel, do not be afraid. Now, you know, the angel would not have said that unless the angel <laughs> uh, could sense there was some fear. But Luke gives us a little bit of, of a, a glimpse into this. She, when she heard in verse 28, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. The next verse says she was greatly troubled. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm trying to imagine myself in that place. Um, there's the word uh, terrazzo gives us the image of a still pond and you throw a pebble into the center of that pond, you start to see those ripples. That's the word terrazzo that is used. So there's one event, but that event has some rippling effects. Yeah. Now we all can probably picture that these events in our lives that have this rippling effect that affect our day, you know, you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you're kind of perturbed at the world and, and stuff and how that affects the first cup of coffee you get. It's not right. And then you greet your spouse or your children or a friend of yours, you go to work and you're just a sore and a pill to be around. Yeah. Now put the word dia terrazzo, dia in front of it. And Luke is saying this is through and through her. She was greatly troubled and it went rippled through her inside of her. And um, and then she's trying to discern this, uh, what this sort of greeting may be. Now, as a 13-year-old, I remember when my daughter was 13 and my son was 13, and I I look with trepidation when Katie Grace, who's our seven-year-old, becomes 13, because, you know, there is not much discerning going on in a middle school girl or boy's life, no. right? So we see these, uh, we see this image that that Luke has given us behind the scenes. She is trying to figure out what is happening, what is going on. She hasn't heard anything about the intentions or the message. Just an angel appears and the angel says, greetings. Now, most of the time, the angel says, what? Fear not. <laughs> yeah. The very first words that are said, fear not. Not this one. The angel comes up and says, hi, Mary. Hey, what's up? <laughs> hey, Mary, I wanted to introduce myself. No uh, forewarning through Instagram or a Facebook message that says, hey, I'm coming. Yeah, no okay. text to say, hey, get ready. <laughs> get ready. And yeah, we'll be there in a minute. And here's this, this word, favored one. Isn't that amazing? It is. It's a great word. It is a great word. It comes from the Greek word grace. This word comes from that root word of grace. It's only used twice in this form in the New Testament. Once here, another time that Paul uses it, we'll talk about later. But it gives this implication, this impartation of grace, of favor, of acceptance. And I was thinking about this literally profound theological <laughs> point. <laughs> Emily's laughing because I told her about this beforehand and it was like... Got to make sure I have the appropriate I heard the response. Crickets, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Mary was an object of God's grace. Mary had prepared herself in one way or another to be open to it. Maybe it was through through her parents, through her 
worship, through her beliefs, and, and, and but she was prepared at any moment. So when the angel comes and says, you are favored, it is really, you are the vessel that God is going to pour his grace into. You are the vessel that God is going to pour his grace into. And if you think about it, if you think about grace, is grace really grace if it is withheld? Can grace really be called grace if it's withheld, if the person who's going to give it or pour it out withholds that grace? I think it would just be good intentions. Yeah. Nothing more than good intentions. Right. I mean, if, if we worship a God of good intentions, where would we be? Wow. Here's an example of, of God, and you see this throughout Scripture, where God pours in, breaks through somebody's narrative and time and space and, and pours into that person grace. Yeah. Not good intentions. Jesus did not come down and say, hey guys, I love you, but I got to catch the 440 bus <laughs> to heaven. So, yeah. um, see ya. Yeah. This didn't, this isn't as fun as I thought it was going to be. I'm out of here. There's yeah. a harp concert I got to get to. <laughs> it was a grace that was lived into that he actually portrayed. He actually gave, he actually demonstrated for us. In Ephesians chapter one, verse six, Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, it says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And that word blessed is the same word only used twice in the New Testament that is used here in Luke. Not just Mary, but we all are these vessels that God has poured into grace. I think one of the things for me, at least right now, is how would my view of God, my perception of God change if I started to believe that he's not just a passive God, but he is an active God. And he's not just an active God in somebody else's life or in the past, but he's active right now. What would change? Here's Mary. God steps into her life, gives her this message through this angel and says, oh, favored one. Certainly I would be troubled. She was troubled. Certainly I would try to discern and try to figure out, think through what was being said. But then the message comes. What does the angel say to her? Well, the angel says, do not be afraid. Here's where the do not fear comes. Yes. And he says, for you have found favor with God. Here's favor again. And I assume that, so he's speaking in terms that she would understand, correct? Mm -hmm. So we have to go back and look up, do these word studies to grasp the full meaning. Of, I mean, because what if you hadn't looked up that word favored at the beginning and found that it was only used one other time in, in the New Testament and comparing those verses so that we get a, oh, that's what it means. Oh, yeah. it means this. You know, I imagine that when the angel was speaking to her, she understood the words that yeah. were coming. And she knew that this was different, that this was a, oh, this is a big deal. <laughs> this Absolutely. is good favor. This is, wow, what have I done to deserve this kind of thing, which is where her... Um, the troubled yeah. and trying to discern how has this happened and why. 
Yeah. What have I done? <laughs> and, and this is this second use of fi- favor here is different yeah. from that first one. I mean, yeah. this is so you have you are favored that, you know, oh, favored one that that is a declaration of a new identity in verse 28. When the angel says you are a favored one, that is a declaration of a new identity. And then you have found favor means God is rejoicing in you yeah. that because you have this impartation, this new identity, this new creation you are this recipient, this vessel that God is going to pour into. God is rejoicing. So you are favored and God is rejoicing over you. Yeah. And I read um, after you gave me the um, the history of that word unfavored there, I looked at because then I wanted to, I couldn't remember. You know, I, when you say a Greek word to me, I can't just write it down. <laughs> I don't know the letters that are involved. <laughs> so. After we hung up, I was like, I got to look that up again. I want to know what that is. And don't ask me to say it. Don't ask me what it is now because now it's already left my brain. But I looked it back up in one of the, the sentences that, that it was one of that describes it said, God extending himself to freely bestow. Gosh. God extending himself. He's extending that to her. And it changes her immediately. It changes her forever from then on out. And this favor of, gosh, now what do we do? And and I heard, uh, you know, because it is Christmas and because we're all on this bandwagon of let's talk about it, <laughs> we're all so desperate for this good news of Jesus coming. And, and thank goodness he was born. And thank goodness he has already redeemed the world. <laughs> we're just waiting for him to come back. We all are feeling the need for that yeah. in 2020. But uh, I was listening to another uh, message about it. And this favor and what we think of when we see favor, when we hear favor, we think, oh, we got it made. This is going to be great. I've got favor with the Lord. I mean, I'm going to have everything's going to be laid out. It's just going to be, you know, I'm just going to go through the steps of everything that's been that's been promised to me because I'm favored by God. And that is not how it plays out because Mary and Joseph both clearly favored, clearly chosen to be God's parents, clearly were set apart, clearly something stuck out to the Lord for him to say, those are the two I want to be my parents. Those are the two that are going to do a good job. And those are the two that will listen and be obedient and do the best that they can possibly do. And those two I can work with. I have a feeling that the Lord might say, Emily, I can't work with you on this. (laughs) You can be the aunt. Okay. (laughs) You can be, you know. I mean, immediately Mary's like, oh my gosh. And immediately she's like, well, now I'm pregnant. I got to tell my parents. Oh. I mean, can you imagine what that felt like? I got to tell my family. I've got to tell this man that I'm technically already married to. Because they looked at fiance and husband as the same. Yeah. And then, okay, not only him, I got to deal with his family. I got to deal with the neighbors on the street here. I got to deal with everyone in Nazareth, knowing everyone in our neighborhood knows that we're betrothed, but knows that we hadn't had the the wedding ceremony yet. They know that we're in this in-between time. 
that does not feel like favor. <laughs> yeah, and wouldn't that give Mary so many reasons to decline? Yeah. I mean, she, her, she's thinking through all the different things that are going to have to happen. I can't imagine what it was like for Mary's parents. I'm pregnant, and it was God who did it. <laughs> Don't worry, it was God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we would think, you know, I think we think that they would have a different reaction than we would. Yeah. I Absolutely. Don't, I don't think that they had a different reaction. You know, I think that they probably, hmm. Yeah. Right. And what are we going to tell my bridge club about yeah. this? <laughs> That's right. And our garden club. <laughs> Because we know later in life, when when Jesus comes back to Nazareth, when he's in his ministry, they didn't care. <laughs> they were like, "Ah, oh, yeah, you're Mary and Joseph's kid. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure, you're you're God's son. Uh -huh. Okay, Jesus. You know, it it that in and of itself is not an easy road to start down. Right, and and just because Mary was favored, and she was a recipient of God's acts of grace did not mean that everything was going to be easy. Yeah. I mean, we, we pass over this as something that happened 2000 years ago, but we very infrequently step into the emotional aspect of what must have been happening. Yeah. We see in Matthew's gospel, when Joseph heard the word that Mary was uh, with child, Imagine his standing for the rest of his life in the community. Yeah. Oh, that was the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so Joseph, on our softball team, you hit a home run. That was the Holy Spirit again? Are you going to throw that Holy Spirit on us again? You know? I mean, how many times did they look down at him? You know, church historians think he died an early death. Um, I could imagine, only imagine, if it had something to do with the ridicule that he lived with the rest of his life. Well, and it says a lot about him. I mean, because we do spend so much time talking about Mary. But Joseph, I mean, Matthew says that he was had integrity. He was a man of integrity. He was a good man. And even when... Mary tells him, he's like, okay, I'll just quietly divorce her. Respect. We'll just say this just didn't, didn't go and work out um, and leave her and therefore opening her up to <laughs> death <laughs> by stoning, <laughs> you know, those, the ramifications of what that would have done. And he didn't want to really draw attention to it. He just kind of wanted to be, let it be over and move on. And then the, an angel appeared to him in a dream and said, this is true. Mm. Yes, this is, and this is God's child. And you are going to raise it and you're going to name him Jesus. Here's how this goes. And Joseph woke up in a... A, a cold sweat? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Joseph woke up and said, okay, yeah. I mean, what does that say about him? Because something that I read on, on the internet, because the interwebs are always right, <laughs> but this is a good point. Yes, God chose Mary to be the vessel of his grace that he poured into her and that she poured out for us, for everyone else. But God gave Joseph the directions. Mm. God said, don't leave her, take her to Bethlehem with you. You go and do this. And then when it came time when they needed to flee to Egypt, 
here's what you're going to do, Joseph. You take her and the baby and y'all go to Egypt and I'm going to make a way for you. Joseph got all the important instructions. That says a lot about him as well. So here's Mary who is so precious in my mind. She's so precious and so open and and willing to be this vessel. And here's Joseph who was so obedient and who listened, who heard the Lord and then listened to him, who didn't wait. And you mentioned, you know, before we started, um, we were talking about Zechariah, how he was... <laughs> When, yeah, when the angel yeah. of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, he was like, do what now? How yeah. am I going to know this is the truth? And the Lord made him mute until yeah. the baby was born. <laughs> I, look, I, I, you know, Mary asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? Okay. And she's allowed to ask the question, how will this be? And Zechariah asks this question, how will this be? And he goes, be quiet, Zechariah. And just because you asked, I'm going to make you mute. <laughs> Good heavens. Well, I mean, in these two miracle babies, these two miracles that have happened, because Zachariah and Elizabeth were well in, advanced in years. You know, you see, um, the Bible always calls the men old and the women advanced in years. See, the Lord is not stupid. <laughs> um, so they were past time and they had had no children. Right. And here's this child that comes with the specific purpose of telling people about the coming Savior so that he can make ready the Lord a people prepared. Gosh, I love that phrase. I love that. A people prepared for the Lord. And they're cousins. They're the same family. I mean, Elizabeth and, and Mary, and maybe that lean gives into Mary's family and acceptance of this because they've already witnessed Elizabeth's pregnancy yeah. and there's already been one miracle in that family. So maybe they go, oh, oh, well, it just happened to Elizabeth. I mean, I think you're giving them too much credit. <laughs> We'll see. We're all going to find out one day. What, yes, yes. It will all be made clear to us if we even care at that point. Absolutely. Here's Mary asks this question, how will this be? And as I was reading this, the angel actually gives the how this is going to be. The Holy Spirit will uh, come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and the child will be born and will be called holy, the Son of God. And not only will this happen to you, but let me give you some contextual evidence. Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. And then verse 37, two verses of explanation and then verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. You know, when Mary asked the question, the angel could have just said, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God, but gives this explanation, gives a little bit of this insight of what's happening, what's going on. And so then Mary responds, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. I think what is so significant of that, 
is certainly Mary had in the back of her mind, maybe even she was uh, discerning and kind of thinking through still all the steps and all the ramifications and all the things that would have to be mitigated in the future. But she didn't allow what she didn't know to change what she did know. Wow. I don't think Mary had it all figured out. Mm. I don't think that Mary had all her questions answered. But in spite of all the questions and still what she didn't know, she took the next step she knew was right. And after her visit with Elizabeth, Luke gives us the song of Mary. And look, at this point, we don't know if she told her parents yet. We don't even know if Mary and Joseph had a conversation. Here's Mary with her own word through the angel and Joseph. And, you know, I wonder if the two of them ever said, hey, do you know what happened last night? <laughs> I wonder if the two of them were like, mm-hmm, hi, how are you? And they were thinking, I don't know if the other one knows, yeah, <laughs> you know, right. I don't know if the angel has told the other one. And even not having all those questions answered, listen to this song of Mary. It's my soul magnifies the Lord. Right. My soul magnifies the Lord. I think I, I think of myself and, and others who try to understand everything. I mean, take miracles of the Bible. Joshua 10 talks about the sun stood still. Did the sun really stand still? What happened? And could it be explained through physics and science and nature and things like that? I mean, there's, you can read about all the ways to explain away the sun standing still, or maybe it was uh, about the crossing of the Red Sea when the uh, Israelites are leaving Egypt and Moses. Was there just a, a right wind at the right speed that kind of just blew? And, and is this something that is common? Is it something that can be explained? We want to explain away everything. And here's what many Christians and those who are against Christians, this becomes the point of contention to a person leaning into a confidence and a faith in God because they build their faith, whether it's non-Christian or Christian, they build their faith or lack of faith on these miracles. The non-Christian says, well, that didn't happen. They gravitate towards these individual things. Oh, you want to say creation happened in six days? What if it didn't? Did Noah build a boat? Was there an ark? Was there, I mean, all these different things that happen. And so people want to gravitate and Christians do the same thing. They gravitate towards these miracles and stuff like that. But the problem is, that when our faith is gravitating towards the miracle and not the empty tomb, then our faith becomes like a house of cards. And yeah. if someone proves that, you know, this didn't happen or that didn't happen, their faith crumbles. They, they get, they bow up, they, they start to defend it. And then they go to the mat for this. Look, the only thing I'm going to go to the mat for is the empty tomb. Yeah. As Paul said, if Jesus didn't die and, and was raised from the dead, then we are the most to be pitied because that's our hope. That's everything. Everything rests not on the day standing still or the sun standing still. Everything hinges on the empty tomb. And so Mary, not understanding what this miracle was going to mean and all the ramifications of it, still processing, I am certain, these questions in her mind and the things that are left unresolved, says, my soul magnifies the Lord. 
may it be to me as you have declared the word of the Lord to me. I am your servant. Man, that, that is marvelous. That is heart-wrenching. That is convicting. Yeah. It is absolutely amazing. You just said the miracle of this virgin birth and all the miracles that that in and of itself led to, that this was just the beginning. This was the first one. This was the first domino that flipped. And as you think about Christmas and you think about the birth of Jesus, you have to also think about the empty tomb. Because without Christmas, we can't have Easter. We can't have one without the other. And what this baby in a manger ultimately leads to, gosh, wow. There's a song that um, Sean Curran sings called Catch Me Singin'. And it's not a Christmas song. It's not really an Easter song either, but it talks about God planting the garden. And he's been God for a long time. And he talk, in the song, he's talking through all of this, and then this refrain comes, this story has an empty grave. So we can say that in the midst of the nativity. We can say, here's this baby with the sheep and the cows and the shepherds and the angel and the star and eventually the wise men. We can say, this story has an empty grave. It ends with an empty tomb. The greatest miracle that happened, that tops everyone that came before and everyone that's come since, the empty grave. For those of you who are listening, what does that mean to you? You think about the prophecies of Isaiah, the prophecy of Jesus, the Messiah coming, was to be a light to the whole world, to all nations, not just for this group of children of Abraham, and you, you start to see the unfolding of this story as, as something that is so, so bizarre in one sense, but yet so deliberate and intentional that this unapproachable, this God that you were able to break into that presence on your own now becomes vulnerable, becomes a baby, becomes a human being who is not only human, but fully human and fully God. And Paul writes to the church of Galatia in chapter four, verses four through seven, but when the fullness of time had come at the right time, at the right moment, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. And I love the way that C.S. Lewis talks about this in Mere Christianity, that this one who would bear the sins to make that atonement came and, and walked amongst us as one of those under that law. And for the sole purpose, so that we might receive adoption. God wants us to be part of that favored group, that we are to realize that we are favored, that we are the recipients of that grace, that this is just not God's good intentions, but this is something that he did so that we might receive adoptions as his children. 
And because you are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And then this summation where Paul just kind of lays it all out and says, so you are no longer a slave, but you are a child. And if you are a child, then you are an heir through God. Amen. That's what we've been talking about for 17 weeks prior to this, is that spirit within you that cries out, Abba, Father, and he came in a manger. Is there not a more appropriate time, if you have never done so, to accept this grace, this love for yourself? Maybe you are trying like we imagine Mary did to mitigate all the things that that would mean. All the things that would be so difficult for her to live into in those relationships. But may I just encourage you to just embrace this and what this means. That God sent his son to redeem us and to bring us into his family to receive us, to adopt us. And then he would give us this picture of not just good intention, but where he would just pour grace into us through his spirit. If you'd like some more information on this, or if you'd like to um, chat a little bit on this subject, or would love to uh, share with us that you've recommitted or you've made a decision, send us an email. And we'll follow up with some some information that might help you in your growth and your walk. Our email address is in our show notes. Feel free to reach out. Emily, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We thank you for joining us, and we wish you a Merry Christmas. May the God who broke through time and space and became vulnerable for us be the God who we celebrate and worship this season. God bless.